Welcome back, Initiates, to another lesson of the Codex. Now, today's lesson, we will be diving into the nit and gritty of the historical aspect of Assassin's Creed. So, we will give a brief overview of the game itself, as well as the basic storyline. Then we're going to go in-depth and analyze some of the key characters within the story itself. And then to cap it all off, we're going to give you a brief introduction into the ones who came before and the artifacts that they've created. Now joining me here today is my trusty fellow instructor, Josue Cardona. Hello, teacher. Now again, like I said before, we're going to be getting into the game. And so I figured we would just uh, jump right into things. So with the game itself... Basically, it's one of those redemption games where in the beginning you have Altair ibn Ahad, who is a master assassin who is currently on a mission with two other fellow assassins to recover uh, the treasure that's underneath Solomon's temple. Now, Altair is a very arrogant and uh, abrasive man who takes great pride in his skill and his work. So going into the temple... They discovered that the Templars are also there seeking the treasure. Uh, the most notable one is Robert de Salle, who is the right-hand man to King Richard with the, Templ with the Knights Templar. So Altair, Altair uh, confronts Robert and tries to kill uh, Robert. Uh, his assassination attempt fails. He gets sent out of the temple, and he is forced to exit the temple because there is, there's no way back to help his comrades. So he goes back to Masiaf to tell Al-Mu'alim, the leader of the assassins, of his failure, to which then Merrick, who is one of the assassins with him, uh, he comes by and states that, no, in fact, we didn't. I got the treasure back for you. But Altair uh, had completely disregarded our rules. And now the Templars are outside our front gates, terrorizing the town. Uh, so they go. So Altair goes and assists the the citizens of Masayaf, the city that they live in. And after successfully defending off the Templars, Al Mualim uh, holds Altair and basically demotes him back down to that of a child or a recruit because of his complete incompetence and failure to adhere by the rules. So now the rest of the game is a, that redemption that I was talking about earlier, where. Al Mualim has nine targets that he wants Altair to kill, and to kill these three targets, they have to go to the. He has to go to the three different districts within the three main cities of Damas, Acre, and Jerusalem. And there's the poor district, the middle district, and the high district. Altair goes to each of these three districts, takes out the person in charge of each of those three districts that is also uh, backed by the Templars, while slowly learning of their plot and relearning what it's like to live as an assassin and followed by the rules at the very end after he successfully takes out all nine targets robert de Saab comes out of hiding he challenges robert uh, to a battle to which king richard who's right there he decides to let this battle continue and just and states that god will side with whoever is whoever has the just cause now with Altair coming up on top, Robert uh, then reveals to Altair that it is also in fact Al-Mu'alim who is actually his last target because Al-Mu'alim was basically like them where he just wanted the treasure that they recovered in the very beginning of the game all to himself. He didn't want to share it and he wanted to gain that ultimate power. So then Altair rides back to Masiaf where he finds that uh, what Robert had said was true and Al-Mu'alim had actually turned all the assassins against him. And that causes Altair to have to confront his old master, his teacher, the person that he saw as most like a father figure. Like He saw him as a better father figure than even his own dad, who he barely knew. So after a long, very illusionary battle, um, because Al-Mu'alim had this artifact, Altair manages to finally defeat Al-Mu'alim, and states that he's going to destroy the artifact because it is something that is far too powerful for humans to, to be wielding, that it needs to be destroyed. And Al-Mualim kind of mocks him as he tries to get near it and finds that he can't 
because al Malam knows like, yes, you know that this is too great of a power that you can't destroy it. And with that, to kind of give a little brief pass into the present day, the Vidic and the Templars of Abstergo uh, have finally found the information they were looking for with that artifact and then decide to leave Desmond for dead. Or at least that's what they want to. And then Lucy convinces them to keep him around to ensure that he has no other useful information and then kill him. And this is when Desmond discovers that he has the bleeding effect and he learns that there's all these symbols that have been painted around the room and in his bedroom that's all actually caked in blood from the previous subject. And that is the end of the game. Is there anything else you want to add, Josue? <laughs> or did I do or did I just did I just completely cover everything and there's absolutely nothing I left out whatsoever? That's practically Assassin's Creed 1 in a nutshell. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, you glossed over how arrogant and cocky Altair was at the beginning and how uh, how much his his colleagues told him to uh like follow the creed and I think I remember he he was like, everything's permitted, man. It's all good. Let's just do whatever. <laughs> that did not work out. But you're right. I mean, it, it is a a story of of growth, right? Like the the fact that we see Altair at this moment in his life when he did have that experience, and even though his master like demoted him, you know, we had a a Metroid moment, right, where he loses all of his skills, and slowly throughout the game, we're we're gaining them again and gaining our weapons. He is relearning everything and becoming a better assassin and he's um, becoming more aware of his surroundings and more critical and and by the end it's that character has grown a lot i think even though you pretty much said the whole plot right like it's it's just him taking out these nine people that he's been ordered to take out um as a way of like making up for his mistake at the beginning. Yeah, so so that's like that's the whole story basically. So definitely let's go into the end which is super important when we when we start like when we begin to understand what the artifact is and and how like the master pretty much becomes like he uses the artifact at the end so he's kind of like a wizard like he he multiplies himself like let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was holding off on a lot of the things I wanted to say about Altair until we got into his, his real nit and gritty because he's one of the characters that we're going to be at, digging deep into and identifying later. But again, with the end of the game, with the, the artifact and everything, it it's one very like when you're playing the game, it's very trippy at first because like you don't understand for when you play it for the very first time you don't understand what's going on like you're fighting him and then all of a sudden he just disappears and then he appears in a different part of the courtyard and and then eventually once you get past that stage of this boss battle basically um then he multiplies himself and now he's like there's like eight different other and you have to fight them all and the combat system isn't that evolved so it's just it's repeatedly just mashing like square x depending on what you're playing uh just so you can either fight them all or you just wait until they try to attack you and then you counter them but um the the artifact itself is really interesting because this is where we're seeing its real power for the first time and even then like even towards the end, like you can tell that's not the full power of this artifact. This thing has so much capabilities to do so much more. I mean, it, it displays a map of the entire world and it's showing continents that to them haven't been discovered yet. It's remarkable that they're, that they're throwing in this, this weird curveball in history to kind of more or less explain the reasonings behind certain events or why certain people died or or this or that or how a conflict was swayed one way or another but they 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 really leave out like any key explanation details like they really leave it out in the open and that's what i really enjoy about this like the, like it's not it's not just handed to you it's like oh we're going to introduce this artifact but we're not going to tell you what it's about or what it's for or who made it at least not yet it's interesting. I mean, last episode we talked about how how much we love the science fiction aspect of it, right? And up until that point, the sci-fi aspect of it is that 
we're able to, through DNA, look through the eyes or relive the events of our ancestors. And in this moment, like the artifact, it, it seems like magic, but, you know, based on what we know in the world, I assume that it's, it's just an advanced technology that's allowing him to do this type of thing. Yeah. We don't know for sure. Right. But that's like, that, that's what I'm leaning toward. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really great that the, these artifacts is, is really like outside from the whole present day stuff. It's outside from the animus. Like this is where the whole, this is what really makes it a science fiction. Like aside, it's like a science historical fiction where a lot of the the events and the dates and the people are are real or they're they're accurate. But at the same time, now they're entering this this idea of of technology, not even magic. It's technology that's entering in what was thought to be a much simpler time, yeah. at least compared to how we are now. But like the fact that they have access to this advanced technology, this this advanced artifact that could that transcends anything conceivable yeah. nowadays it is is what makes this this game, what makes this series worthwhile, and what's worth investing your time into because you want to like, especially with the first game, you don't know anything, so yeah, they they, yeah. they make it so you want to know more. Okay, well, what about this artifact that makes it so special? Like, okay, we see what it can kind of do in this battle area. We can see it can display a map, but what else can it do? Can it do more? Are there more out there? Are there different kinds of items out there? Who exactly made these things? Like, what what is the explanation, and how do I find it? And that's how it draws its audience in. And that's what makes these games worth investing your time into, at least from in, in our standpoints. We're, we're all about the, the historical fiction, the science fiction, and all the stuff that plays into the past that also makes it part of the future. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Amalim says at some point that like, with this artifact, we can control uh, free will. Right, we can we can take away free will and control people, and he says that they he they can only do it through the that artifact. But then we we see that it can do so much more. And I love the fact that you know we call it an artifact because it's something that's very very old. But if it's if it's not magic, then that means it's technology. And then well, what does it mean that a very very old technology is so super advanced? Would be advanced for us, and is definitely like what's it doing during that time period? Oh, it's so exciting. <laughs> I know. Like, oh, man, I remember first learning about this, and I was just like, wait, what? Can you tell me more, please? But then they just, they don't. Like, aside from the very beginning of the game, and there's at one point after a certain uh, assassination target that Al-Mualim really talks about that, or you really even see the artifact, that it's not until the end game where we actually see anything remotely related to it, like in terms of its power and its capabilities. Like they really leave you guessing as to what it is until the very end. And even then they don't, they, it's like, it's like a tease. It's like, Oh, it can, it can kind of do this. It can kind of do that, but maybe it can do more according to Al-Mualim where, you know, you can control the hearts and minds of, of man. You can take their free will and control it, make it so they listen, so they're docile. Essentially, make it so the night, the Templars' ideology can can flourish and blossom, where everything is in an order, where things are controlled. And Al Mualim is speaking in that ideology, and because that's what this that's what this artifact can do. Now, uh, what do they call the artifact in this game? They they call it a piece of Eden. Right, right, right. They call it a piece of Eden because at some point during the game, Al-Mualim even discusses that this artifact, this apple, was what casted out Adam and Eve from Eden. Hmm. That's why it's called a piece of Eden. In a sense, I, I, I'm not 100% sure if I remember this correctly, but I know Al-Mualim, I believe he makes a mention to the ones who came before. And that's all we ever know about this. Now, we don't know if these are 
if these were gods, if these were angels from, you know, God's kingdom before every before the creation of earth, before the creation of man and, and civilization as we know it. Yeah. But uh, he makes a reference to that this was something from a, a civilization far be far before our time. And yet yeah. they managed to make something so powerful, something that could l- literally manipulate mankind to do what the wielder commands. No questions. So I guess now that we've kind of we've kind of talked about the artifact a little bit. Now I went on to take a look at the how the artifact kind of plays into the story and, and as well as it, it explains the symbolism for, for religion. Like I mentioned before how uh, Al-Malim states that this apples will cast Adam and Eve out of Eden. So again, immediately we're tying things into religion. We're trying to explain more or less uh, Judaism and in, in Judaism and Christianity. Yeah, and, Where, so, and so the biblical version of that is that God created man, and then He created woman from man, and then they were tempted, but they were they were not allowed to eat from the forbidden tree, and they were tempted, and when they the the woman ate the apple, and then she shared it with the man, and this gave them uh, like knowledge that they weren't supposed to have, and then they were cast out of Eden. By God, that is the like, the biblical version of the story. Yes, and and here, like this is where it kind of gives the explanation where like it wasn't a an actual fruit apple that they ate; it was an apple or or what they call it, an apple, but it was actually uh, a a mechanism, uh, a machine that gave them knowledge that they weren't supposed to have. Hmm. whoever created this artifact or, or this this machine did so with the intent that humans were not supposed to touch it we're not supposed to handle it we're not supposed to bask in the knowledge that it was providing but gotcha. adam and eve managed to get a hold of one and this is what sent them out of whatever paradise that they were originally in because now they were de- most likely deemed too dangerous or too irresponsible or, or whatever the explanation might be in terms of what the game is trying to, to, to showcase. And that's why they were, they were cast out. And again, this whole game is, is about, um, it's all about the third crusade. It's about fighting for the quote unquote, Holy land with Jerusalem and Acre and, and Damas and the, the Knights Templar are there from, from Europe to, take it over, reclaim it for the for the sake of Christianity. And obviously that that's not entirely the case, but so many of the the targets that you have to take out, they often talk about how they don't believe in God or they state that there is no God because of the Templars ideologies that they've come to realize that there is none of that, that there is n- no God. One of them I think that's like Apunaku or something like that. I can't, I, I butchered that probably really badly, but he's like the merchant king. And I remember when Altair uh, had assassinated him, he even stated like, oh, there is no God. If there was a God, why would he create an abomination like me? Right as he was passing. So all these different men have different reasons to not believe in God and this is exactly why they fell into the Knights Templar, where they saw themselves as taking the place of God. Maybe not being gods themselves, but taking that place so that way they can control mankind. They can guide it into that, that world of peace with them, with their hands on the reins and, and, and steering uh, the course of history into whatever they want it to be. Well, the assassins are like, no, 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 no we should be able to do it ourselves. It's so interesting how all of these men that you assassinate in the game, that you assassinate in the game are kind of like teaching Altair as he goes through, right? Like opening his eyes little by little in those moments uh, when, when they're dying. Like each of those moments is really important. Exactly. And, and this is a, beautiful segue into uh, dissecting and and taking a deeper look at Altair himself as a character. 
So, you know, in the beginning of the game, like Jose mentioned earlier, Altair was very arrogant, very abrasive, very full of himself and cocky. Uh, the, the, the saying that you were trying to say earlier with uh, his friends and, and comrades trying to tell him the, the tell him to live and do by the creed, he's like, well, my way is better because I am better than you guys in both title and ability. So don't question me or my methods or my tactics. I'm the best of the best. So listen to what I say. He's very full of himself, and this is what causes him to uh, ultimately get one of his friends killed and, and Merrick to lose an arm because he confronts the Templars as opposed to waiting in the shadows and waiting for the perfect time to strike the Templars in Solomon's Temple. So as he's progressing through and, and regaining his ranks to prove his loyalty to the Creed and regain the trust that he broke with everybody by getting so many townspeople killed as well as other assassins killed by letting by leading the Templars back to Masyaf in the very beginning, with every person he kills and assassinates, they, get, they leave behind a piece of wisdom with him, or from what they see as wisdom, but pieces of information about themselves and what they believe in that, that actually really so doubt in Altair where he's unsure of their methods he at some point like especially towards the end of the game he even questions that he's like what if what I'm doing like, what if what these men are doing are wrong or are they're not wrong I should say yeah like, what if they mean well but they're just misguided they're they they are doing things in an unethical manner and if they just learned a better way to do it you know they can continue doing what they what they're saying that they're that they they want to do they want to continue doing it but now they're doing it in a better way that benefits people as opposed to uh, discriminating people or abusing people or enslaving people or, or things of that nature and Al-Nualim does his best to, to kind of gloss over that, to be like, no, they're just, they're concocting illusions. They're just saying what they can to deceive you, to turn you against us because what they failed in their mission. So they're trying to change you and corrupt you so that way you can continue on what they are leaving behind, essentially. Not explicit. Al-Nualim doesn't explicitly say that, but that's basically what he's saying. He's like, no, While no, no. While he's deceiving. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, because he knows that what these men are saying is, if Altair were left to, to question these things, that he would eventually realize what Al Mualem is up like is up to this entire time. So Al Mualem has to do what he can to be like, no, 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 don't listen to them. Those are corrupted men that are only doing what they can to corrupt you. Like, and then he he tries to spin their words or he spins their actions. While some of them, yes, they are atrocious or they're heinous, he the ones that are a lot more milder, he often like will twist it to to make it seem a thousand times worse than what it actually is, just so that way he can convince Altair to stay true to Al Mualim's side, so he can do his dirty work, so that in the end of the, at the end of it all, Al Mualim is left unopposed to execute whatever it is he desires because now he has the artifact in his possession. And Altair even states, after going through this and going through this this massive growth in such a short time, uh, he even confronts al Mualim and, and asks him, like, why didn't you use the apple on me? And to which al Mualim says, like, well, to be honest, I did. The one time I brought it out and showed it to you in, in, in my study... That was I was trying to manipulate your mind to control you, but there's something about you that makes it so I can't. And 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 this is this is the interesting part too. And and I'm gonna bring it back slowly, slowly to the artifacts for just a quick second. Is that Altair is one of the only people that is not affected mentally by the apple, Ooh. which brings up a lot of questions. Yeah. Why is only Altair? able to withstand the the apple but everyone else isn't hmm. so this again also brings up another question and another uh thing that the player wants to know more about because you don't know why is you this answered know, eventually uh it, it, it gets implicitly answered later on 
Okay. Okay. Um, I believe in with Ezio in in the later games, okay. it kind of gets explained, or okay. if, if anything in Revelations, it, it gets explained. Okay. So going forward into that, it, it's coming back to into it. I should say is that um, with with the apple and with Altair being able to to withstand it, Altair is now left with being the only person with really no help, having to confront. The person he saw is the most like a father. And this is where Altair really has to make his hardest choice. He's gone through all these like the, all these missions. He's learned so much about his targets and, and, and learned to abide by the creed. He's become now a real true master assassin. But now he's burdened with this knowledge of his mentor deceiving him. He's with his essential, like, adoptive father betraying his trust. And he has to make the ultimate sacrifice. Where now he has to kill the one person that he trusted and loved the most. And love is kind of like a, a generous word to get to use here. But that's <laughs> essentially what it is. He, he, he loves Al-Malam. He, he cares deeply for him. And now he has to get rid of him. Now he has to kill him. And the fact that Altair can do so and not give in to his cocky ways of being like, oh, you know, I'm better than you, old man. Like, it's it's very solemn. It's very, you know, he's very more or less forgiving. Altair learns that how he was in, in the past was was very rude, was very um, off-putting and very hostile towards his fellow comrades and Merrick the the person that was with him in the very beginning who loses his arm he becomes one of the den masters in one of the cities I can't remember which city um and over time over the progression of the game you see their relationship shift from Merrick being very offstandish and very like like they butt heads a lot with Merrick and Altair to them being basically like brothers again where he Altair has proven himself that he's he's redeemed himself where he's he's learned about uh there's consequences to his actions and that he needs to be more careful with how he goes about things so that way he can ensure that his brothers are protected the ones he cares about his family is protected and cared for and Merrick sees that and you see their relationship be fixed uh, by the end of the game. And then you, when you see Altair take out Robert, when you see him take out Al-Walam, it's very forgiving. It's very, you know, sorrowful, very, very heavy. Like, he doesn't want to, but he knows that he has to for the greater good. And so, like, in such a short amount of time, like, in terms of actual time, like, in the game, not, like, you know, gameplay time, you see Altair really go through a complete 180 overhaul. And that's something that doesn't happen really at all with anybody when they're on like a on a growth path, I should say. I'm not sure how to really put this. Yeah, but I, I get what you're saying. You know, he, technically in the game, it's like a couple days probably, <laughs> right? And he's, he's grown uh, so much. Plus like... Plus, he's killing people, and he's given all this sort of information, and and I mean, it has nothing to do with the story, but he's also helping other people along the way and doing other things. Like it's a, it's it's quite a, quite the ordeal that he goes through. Exactly. Like if this was to be anybody else to go through this, I mean, they probably wouldn't be going through as much growth as Altair did, if at all. I mean, having to kill people. And, and and you're learning so many things that's completely contradictory to what you've grown up with your entire life. Like, how Altair managed to stay so strong-willed to, to his own beliefs while also being able to be open and accept the questionings of his own beliefs from other people that he deemed to be too wicked to continue to live. While also becoming a basically a model assassin it's just it's you got to give him credit <laughs> like he's he's 
he's one tough one tough guy like he I don't, I don't know anybody else that'd be able to go through that much of a redemption arc and and grow basically from like a little kid to an adult in a matter of days or even a week or two if that yeah yeah i mean i think it has a lot to do with how i mean he had the training right so i think maybe it was all there and and I don't know. I think there are events that change you, right? That they can change you very quickly. And probably he was devastated from, by like, he did cause the death of one of his brothers, right? I mean, in a way, right? Like he didn't literally kill them, but his, his behavior, right? To caused um, a chain of events that caused like Merrick to get hurt, the other guy to get killed. And then, and just like going through that whole thing, right? Like you've emphasized how, how important, like how important Al-Malim was to him and how towards the end, like, you know, he's not enjoying killing people, right? He's, it's like, there's something about the way that the game did those scenes, right? Where it was the death of a person and then like the simulation peels away and there's only Altair and the person that he assassin that he assassinated and they have a moment and the game like removes everything else from that scene so that like you, you focus on that moment because it, it matters. It's really important. And I think it's important because each of those moments changed Altair a little bit. Now I have a question for you. How much of your interpretation of Altair's experience comes from the game and how much of it comes from the novel that that explains the events of this game hmm i'm talking about the the secret crusade right is a novel by oliver bowden and it is it starts a little bit like there's a little bit of, we talked about this last time there's a little bit of altair when he's a kid and we learned that his father was also an assassin. So basically, Altair was born into the guild, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and but then it's it's the event of the game. So uh, how much how much of what you're saying do you think comes from from that? You know, I feel like most of what what I what I've come to to know and learn about about these game about this game and, and Altair of himself it, it really comes from the game. Like I've okay. I've I've replayed the games numerous times, like more times than I think any normal person would probably want to replay that game. <laughs> Just even the first one, even no, especially the first one. The first one I've replayed like maybe four or five times, and its replayability is not very high. Mm-hmm. And I will not be ashamed to admit that it's not a game worth replaying. But because I have replayed it. You know, and the first time I play through it, I'm playing through it for the experience, and and I'm not really paying full on attention to the story and and the words that are being spoken. I'm more of like, okay, yeah, let's hurry up with this cutscene so I can get to the next part. Going through it the second and third time, I start paying attention more. I start, you know, taking a little time and and going to different places, and and I'm exploring different places and and, and doing different things. I, I start doing all six investigations, uh, just to really understand my target. By the fourth, by the fourth, fifth, and now the current sixth time that I'm, I'm, you know, about to finish up streaming, um, I learned that I can actually look at the information that I, I gained through my my investigation. So like the <laughs> the interrogations, the pickpocketing, I I never knew that I actually had to pause the game, go to the the memories item, uh, I option and, and then I could scroll through what I've learned and, and look at maps. <laughs> I can look at letters and, and, and things like that. Like that was completely mind blowing to me. I was like, wait, 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 I can do that? I, I thought that was, I didn't know that at all. And so it, it, it really gives you that, that option to, to really plan out your, your assassin assassinations and, and stuff like that. But because of how many times I've replayed it, I, I've been able to really sink into the lore and the story and, and really take it in. Um, when there are things that did seem unclear to me, even though I've replayed through the games numerous times, I, uh, I've really just looked it up on wikis and, and stuff like that. Um, but the book itself, it, it really does give a nice, um, insider look in things. It really tries to take things from Altair's perspective and his thought process, 
were those thoughts that Altair has that he kind of that he somewhat speaks to Al-Mu'allim during those those cutscenes um are more emphasized in the book and that's what I really appreciate like it really th- takes the time to examine and, and take a look at Altair's thought process and how he goes about interpreting and uh, taking in the the knowledge that he's given from each of his targets as he takes them out and how he's processing what Al-Malim's explanation for things is. So I feel like the book does a good job in that regard, mm-hmm. but in terms of the majority of the information from the game itself or from, from the story itself, I, I've, I've gotten from the games. Okay. And not, so, with with that being said, um, you know we we've done a good job of taking a look at Altair and and his growth throughout the games and examining, you know, and, and again with with the book of the Secret Crusade, you can take a look at his thought process, and then that's when you really see the growth happening. Like in the game, it's kind of like like little stepping stones, like it's like one step, two step, three step up until the end. But in the book itself, it's and you see the gradual like maturity of Altair and and you know so going back to what I was saying before with, with Altair and Al-Mualim talking about their relationship I want to take a little take a couple minutes here to just kind of talk about Al-Mualim um, where he's you know, like I said before he's the leader of the assassins in, in uh, the Holy Land or what they would call the Levantine assassins uh, he, he you know he calls all the shots he's what they call the mentor and he wants this artifact because he he want he he explains to Altair that, that with this artifact the templars can can do all sorts of evil can spread about all their lies and control humanity and then of course we learn at the end of the game that he's really just been a giant double crosser he really buys into the templars ideologies he uh, and and after he claims the artifact and is kind of reveling in its power for basically the entirety of the game when Altair isn't around and with that he buys into the Templar's ideology where he feels like he can, can do it he can control everybody he should be the only one in charge and after he noticed after he learns that Altair can withstand the apple he knows that Altair eventually is going to be a liability. He's going to be a loose end that he's going to have to clean up. Or at least try to convince to be on his side. Even though it goes against everything the assassins stand for. But he basically used the assassins to further his own personal goals. Now when Altair finds out about this and then defies him and tells him, No, like I'm sorry but I can't do that. Al-Mu'allim, I feel like he says, like, oh, I'm going to miss you. You are my greatest student. But at the same time, I feel like it was all it's all just like, oh, well, I guess. Like, I guess I'm going to have to kill you now. But, like, just know, like, okay, you might have been the best. But you know what? I, I'm going to have to because you, you cannot live in the world where I want to be in, in charge. But, of course, this corruption kind of ends up being his downfall. Because Altair, who stays true to his gut, just stays true to the creed, um, just sort of, he manages to overcome him and knock the apple out of his hand. And now Al-Mu'allim cannot use the apple anymore, cannot relish in its power, and accepts the fact that he's going to die. And even though he's in his final moments, just like all the Templars before him, he stays true to his beliefs. And he knows that this apple is the key to finding world peace. Yet Altair is kind of like defiant and he's like, no, it, it's too powerful for us. We need to destroy it. Um, even though he's dead, when Altair approaches the apple, Al-Malam's voice is still playing in his head, like having a conversation with him saying like, oh, go on, destroy it. You said you were going to, right? He's like, oh, but that's right. You can't. And he's kind of like mocking him. So even though Al-Malam starts off by being this caring but stern and strict mentor and, and father figure, 
in the end, he's just as corrupt, just as fueled by the desire for 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 power as everyone else was that Altair had claimed during his redemption. Is there anything else you would like to add on on, on Mualim? No, no. <laughs> because I I feel like there's probably something I'm missing here. So hmm. I, I I wanna I wanna just ask you to make sure that if there's anything you need to say, if there's anything I'm missing that you can catch, that you you, you call me out here. <laughs> no, about Amalam, I mean, it, again, it's one of those things where in the game, he's your master, but he seems sneaky, you know? So it's like, at the end, it's not super surprising to me. I don't know if it was surprising to you that he was the villain, basically. I think he was portrayed in a, in a way that made him seem kind of villainous. It ultimately makes for a for a sad story for for Altair and no, but I think I think you covered everything. Well, that makes me feel like I'm doing a pretty good job at this. <laughs> I think you're a good teacher. <laughs> well, I'm trying. I'm trying to get my uh, my licensure in Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that we've taken a look at the two key real assassins and the assassin side of things, we're gonna take a look at now Robert de Saab who is the Grand Master of the Templars. Or This is where it gets kind of confusing. Yeah, I had some questions. <laughs> okay, this is where it's going to get a little confusing. So, there is the Knights Templar, that is the army, and as, long, as well as the Crusader army, run by uh, King Richard, the Lionheart. Then there is Robert de Salve, who is like his... Who is... There is... Robert de Saab, who is the lieutenant of King Richard, but he is also in command of the Knights Templar, and a subset of those Knights Templar are the actual Templars, which are the nine people that you have to kill throughout the entire game, as well as Robert. Those are the big, those are like the inner sanctum of the Templars. And then there are subordinates and, and the everyone else that, you know, just like soldiers or the lackeys and stuff like that. And so the Templars and the Knights Templar are not like, are they, are they actually related? Are they? Yes. They are related in the fact that the name Templars came from this point in time. I'm sure that if, if their fight continued well before this, that they'd be called different names, but this is where it was solidified that they were called the Templars. Got it. It's. I think the Knights Templar were like the elite soldiers of King Richard's army because he has his Crusader army, and then there's the Knights Templar. Now, again, I could be wrong. I the the Knights Templar themselves could actually be the whole Templar uh, organization, but they're just called the Knights Templar. Or I could I, I I could be what I said before where. They, there is the Knights Templar, but then there is a subset of them that is part of this conspiracy or part of this ideology of trying to rule the world, which I'm sure that I think that's that's what it is. But again, going forward, Robert is the, the Grand Master, so he's the one in charge calling the shots without King Richard knowing. In fact, to King Richard, he's like this Christian, uh, God-loving man who or I should say God fearing man and and is only trying to do good by uh, the Crusaders. But in actuality he's pulling all these strings to keep this conflict going so that way he can go and look for these the the artifact or as we come to know it as the apple for the reasons much like Almalim wants them or wants the apple. So there's this giant conflict in be- between the both sides, and Robert himself is is very smart. He's a very very smart, uh, very tactical man. Uh, towards the at the end of the game, when you're sent to go kill him, uh, you're you're told that he's supposed to be at this certain place. But then when you get there, you find that he actually laid a decoy, and it was actually a, a woman named Maria. That Altair doesn't kill because he's like, no, you're not my target, so I'm not going to kill you. And then goes off to find Robert, who's actually with, with King Richard, about to, they're about to invade 
I forgot what city. But they're about to amass, uh, you know, launch an attack. And then Nezuzman Altair confronts him and he talks to him. And he tries to say, he tries to convince him because, uh, or convince King Richard, I should say, because Robert is very cunning. He's very, he's very wise with his word choice, very street smart in, in the sense that he can, he's very convincing. But again, King Richard's like, no, I'm going to place this in the hands of God. Although it's kind of funny because he said that King Richard stated that he's like, I'm going to put this in someone's hands greater. And Robert then says, thank you, my Lord. But then he's like, no, not you, God. And then it's a battle to the death. (laughs) Yeah. So you can tell he thinks very highly of himself that he's very uh, narcissistic. Yeah. But at the same time, he also knows how to play a crowd. Like he knows how to address things, talk about things, to get people to be on his side. And ultimately, when he's killed at the end, and Altair is talking to him, this is where he kind of like sews in the the three great ironies of the creed, um, and and explaining how like oh you know you and I we want the same thing, but. You know, we're, we're just, you know, but you're going about it this way. I'm going about it this way. And then at the end, he's like, oh, and by the way, yeah, your master has been pulling, pulling all these strings and he just wanted me out of the way so he could have the artifact for himself. And Altair is like, you right. Oh my God. And then he has to head back to Masayaf to, to confront him. <laughs> but again, like in this, and I mean, in this game, we don't really see much of Robert other than really at the beginning and towards the end. But even though we only really see him in, in these two points in the game, you can get a lot of his character from these two points. Like a lot of his characteristics and his personality is really prominent in his in his small parts within the overarching story. And it really kind of gives an idea uh, at the at the core of what the Templars are all about. Like he really is like... Like, if you were to take a look at all the nine targets that you're supposed to, to eliminate, and you take all their their viewpoints, all their beliefs, and everything, and then you compare it all to Robert, every single belief and viewpoint all stems from the core beliefs that Robert has. Like, if, if you were to find the Templars at that point in time, he is the Templars. Because everything he believed in is what uh, the Templars' beliefs continuing on really stem from. In the game or in history? Both. Gotcha. I was going to say, I was just going to say yes. (laughs) (laughs) But it really, it, it, it is both. Like in the games itself, like his core beliefs in the game stem forward they they themselves are then derived into the beliefs that the templars have later on but that's just at this birth of of the templars but the i guess the but again like 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 i said before how there could be people that are like the templars from beforehand that they're all just bent on that quote-unquote world domination that's really so, what they want. Uh, yeah. Well, um, yeah. So confusing. So I have a question then. Uh, is Al-Mualim just an assassin who believed the Templars? Or was he a Templar? Or was he like something else altogether? Because he... What, what is Al-Mualim in the end? I would say he is a corrupted assassin. Gotcha. Because because he wanted to kill all those Templars, but he still wanted, in a way, to do what they wanted to do. Like yeah, so here's the thing, Uh, and it's it's very complicated matter, but from what I gather is that Al Malim himself is an assassin. He is through and through an assassin. However, once he gains knowledge and he gains the possession of the artifact. Or the apple. Oh. He then... Like he's corrupted. He becomes corrupted because he realizes the... 
the potential strength and the power that that one item can wield, and he's not strong enough to handle it. Got it. So do you think if he would have survived, like if if he would have killed Altair, he wouldn't necessarily have sided with the Templars? He would have done his own thing? Uh, Yes, exactly. That's exactly. And that's what, I think that's what Robert tries to say is like, oh, he just wants control. We wanted peace. He just wants control. Yeah, yeah. He became corrupted by the power of the of the apple, and so that's why, while he he has the he has similar ideologies to the Templars, he's not actually a Templar because he would still kill all the Templars, and he would still go and kill all the Templars probably if he were to have survived, yeah. just so that way none could oppose him. But, um, but yeah, no, he he in and of himself would still probably be a a rogue. More or less. Gotcha. And I mean, I think I think it's cool to to go back to these three people and discuss their motivations and see how, you know, like we won't talk about them yet, but there are other people in the future who are also like conflicted and change sides. And, you know, there there's there's definitely good and evil and some in between and some other aspects that uh definitely play a role in influencing people and we play with these elements throughout the rest of the series exactly and today's word of the day is foreshadowing (laughs) that's exactly what we just did right there i think that it just about covers everything that uh we would really want to say about the about the first game as well as the characters in it and the story so I think I think that just about covers everything, and then that means the next time we can move on to really the game that actually launched the series, <laughs> Assassin's yeah, Creed Two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so good! I can't wait. Like I haven't started it yet, but I can't wait to go back and replay the HD version. <laughs> so, like I said, you know, we we finished up everything, and so now next week we're going to start on Assassin's Creed Two. So. I think it's time to end today's lessons. I want to thank everybody here for for joining us and taking in our lessons and and what we have to say. Be sure to bring your pens and pencils next time because once we start Assassin's Creed 2 and Ezio's storyline, there is going to be a lot to talk about and there's going to be a pop quiz at the end of all this. Oh, snap. Can't wait. So keep an eye on the forums. (laughs) I can't wait partially not kidding we'll see what happens okay so again thank you guys for for tuning into today's lesson if you ever need assistance if you ever want to ask questions feel free to do so at our forums at forums.geektherapy.com if you ever want to chat with your fellow initiates or you know us professors and, and instructors feel free to do so at our on our discord at geektherapy.com discord so until next week class is dismissed So take care, everybody, and always remember that nothing is true. Everything is permitted.